Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Discussions around cancer diagnosis and treatment can vary widely depending on cultural expectations. And cultural connections can improve outcomes for Native patients. That's why there's growing recognition of the importance of tribally run treatment options for Native people. It's one of the ways medical experts identify for improving the statistical disparities that Native cancer patients face. We'll hear more about it right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The top First Nations leader in Manitoba, Canada, is facing allegations of sexual assault. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, he's now off the job, pending an investigation. It's not the first time that Arlen Dumas has faced this kind of allegation. Dumas is the Grand Chief of the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs. The allegation of harassment and sexual assault against him was made by a senior staff member who wrote to the AMC's executive council. The member says this letter also serves to bring immediate attention to breaches of code of conduct of the AMC Constitution based on my personal experiences of harassment, sexual harassment and sexualized violence by Grand Chief Arlen Dumas. The staff member then says the harassment from Dumas began on the second day of employment by phone, in person and virtually. Advocate Hilda Anderson Pierce is the chair of the National Family and Survivor Circle. She says the incident has prompted her to reach out to any other victims of this kind of violence. The experience of violence and the trauma and the fear of publicly disclosing your experience, you know, it's, it's, very, it's a very difficult journey to be on. The Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs will appoint an acting Grand Chief today and will also review existing workplace harassment policies. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. Leaders of Native organizations and tribes across the country are reflecting on the work of U.S. Representative Don Young. Alaska's only congressman, a Republican, died Friday at age 88. In a statement, the Alaska Federation of Natives said achievements he championed on behalf of Alaska Natives will not be forgotten. AFN President Julie Kitka said, We did not always agree. However, he was always willing to listen, and if he could help, he would. In a recent hearing on tribal co-management of federal lands in the House Natural Resources Committee, Young advocated for Alaska tribes, saying Alaska Natives should be partners in managing parks. Parks and partners. That's what I want. Parks and partners together. And you'll find out your job's going to be a whole lot easier if you have partners. And the partners should be those that originally lived there prior to the creation of the parks. And let them have the, the opportunity for jobs and opportunity to present their point of view. The National Congress of American Indians in a statement said Representative Young worked with Alaska Native and American Indian leaders to help protect lands, people, natural resources, subsistence rights and tribal economies. NCAI Alaska Region Vice President Mike Williams said Congressman Young helped achieve a great deal of success for American Indians and Alaska Natives putting aside any difference for the betterment of our people. Young, who was elected to Congress in 1973, died while traveling home to Alaska. His office is expected to release more details and plans for a celebration of his life. A documentary telling the stories of three Native women involving missing and murdered relatives premieres Monday night on Twin Cities PBS. 
her body was found wrapped in trash bags in the Red River. She was kidnapped and raped. She was meant to be trafficked. My people have gone missing since European settlers set land here on Turtle Island. Bring Her Home tells the story of Indigenous women advocates. An activist, an artist, and a politician see killing and hope as they draw attention to the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous people. The film is directed and produced by Leah Hale, Sisseton Wapatin, Dakota, and Dene. She hopes the film will drive public awareness and serve as a catalyst for conversation, cultural reclamation, and change. The film is also available for online streaming. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Native Americans are more likely to get certain cancers than the rest of the population. And cultural and geographic separations are two major factors that could determine life or death when it comes to cancer treatment. Congress just approved $8 million in federal money to expand a tribally run cancer center on the Navajo Nation. It's an acknowledgement of the higher prevalence of cancer there and the disparity in treatment on the reservation. Also, many Navajos prefer to keep the subject of cancer private, a concept that indigenous care providers are more likely to understand. Coming up, we're going to hear about tribally run cancer treatment and the importance of connecting on a cultural level. We want to hear from our listeners as well. What promise does cancer treatment from native providers hold for you or your community? Share whatever you're comfortable with by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Lynette Bonner is the CEO of the Tuba City Regional Healthcare Corporation. She's speaking to us today from Tuba City, Arizona. She is Navajo. Welcome to Native America Calling, Lynette. Yeah, day, Bennett. This is Lynette. Myra Parker is the director of the Seven Directions Center for Indigenous Public Health and an associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the University of Washington. She is a member of the three affiliated tribes and descendant of the Rocky Boy Cree tribe. She's speaking to us today from Seattle, Washington. Dr. Parker, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And joining the conversation from Minneapolis, Minnesota, is Melissa Buffalo. She is the American Indian Cancer Foundation CEO. Melissa is a member of the Meskwaki Nation. Welcome, Melissa. Uh, good afternoon. Excited to be on this call. Thank you. We're, 
You bet. We are excited to have you as well as our other two guests. Lynette, I want to start off by congratulating uh, Navajo Nation on last week's announcement of $8 million for the Navajo Nation's Cancer Treatment Center there in Tuba City. President Jonathan Nez said it will help develop long-term care and skilled nursing services. Lynette, tell us more about it. Yes, well, thank you for having me on this call. Uh, Tuba City is very happy that we were able to partner with our senators here in Arizona to get that funding. Um, we're, we're very happy with um, the contribution that's going to make toward, it's actually a larger, larger project than um, putting in a permanent oncology center. Um, we are going to um, look at providing a nursing home as well as um, a rehab area for our entire campus here. And that'll help uh, make sure that we can provide all those services in a, in a building that's going to last longer. As you know, uh, Indian Health Services does provide some funding to tribal organizations, but for us it's only about 30%. And they do not fund uh, nursing homes or uh, specialty care such as cancer care. So we're really fortunate that we were able to get in that, that Senate um, appropriation. Now, Lynette, your treatment center there in Tuba City, it's officially named the Specialty Care Center. Why don't we see the word cancer in that name? Well, um, people like to be private, as you mentioned earlier in your introduction. Um, and we wanted to not put a stigma or, you know, if people feel there's like a perception in going into that building, we didn't want that perception to be there, and we wanted our patients to be more comfortable. And it is part of us looking um, at cultural sensitivity, which is in our mission, and um, we think that would be um, much better for patients to go in that building and feel good about, you know, the treatment they're getting. Now, what types of cancers are most prevalent among the Navajo? So what we're seeing is uh, very similar to um, most populations is breast cancer, prostate cancer, and colon cancer. But one of the cancers we do see that's um, more prevalent uh, here is uh, kidney cancer, which is um, our numbers right now show two times higher than non-natives. And then the other one is multiple myeloma, um, which is something people uh, can get just from different exposures. So we're seeing a lot of those two more than the general public. That sounds like many of these cancers that are impacting the Navajo Nation, these are curable forms of cancer, is that right? Yes, they are. Now, are, are folks, is there a challenge with folks that, that just have a curable form of cancer but aren't able to seek treatment, maybe because of distance or because of just not wanting to, to seek treatment? Or are, are most of these folks being, their, their, their medical needs being addressed in a timely fashion? So prior to our center being here, they were not addressed in a timely fashion. Um, and we are about 80 miles north of Flagstaff, Arizona, and they do have a cancer treatment center there, um, as well as radiation oncology. But um, looking at 160 miles round trip is very difficult for people. Um, and even looking at the gas prices now, that makes it even more difficult. Um, and many of our... Um, much of our population, our poverty level is over 50%. Um, a lot of people don't have funds to use for gas. Um, and then uh, just looking at um, staying there overnight, you know, 
having a place to stay overnight as well as food. It was very difficult, and, and that's really what spurred this project was um, looking at the care that we offer here up in northern Arizona. Uh, my background is nursing. I'm an RN, and um, I actually uh, worked in other places, um, health facilities and hospitals, not on Navajo. Um, and we had everything. You know, we had our cancer center. We had three nursing homes. We had rehab. But, you know, I came here, and it's just like, where's the nursing home? Where's the cancer care? Where's all these things? So that became part of our mission on how we reduce um, disparities and increase access to care. Our mission is to provide safe, accessible, quality, and culturally sensitive health care. Um, and I think that looking at these types of issues that our population is having, nobody else is doing that. Um, prior to our center, um, many of our diagnoses for cancer, and usually in the late stages, uh, was in our ER. And that's, that's really not how you want to um, find things. Um, and so with our oncologists here, you know, right now we're getting the referrals. We're seeing people ahead of time. Um, our specialty care also got uh, a grant um, to help screen individuals that thought they might be um, exposed to um, some of the uranium issues uh, and um, downwinders projects that are going on. Mm -hmm. Well, this all sounds really, really promising. How big is your service area? Our service area is um, about 6,000 square miles. We're about the size, um, Navajo Nation in general is the size of West Virginia, and we have the western side of Navajo Nation. And, and the other thing that's really unique to our city, Tuba City, is that we're not a border town. So you have Gallup, New Mexico, that has a cancer center right there at the University of New Mexico, right in town. And then you have... Um, Shiprock that has Farmington and San Juan Medical Center. So what makes us more different is our distance to um, non-IHS uh, healthcare. Okay, uh, and then are there other tribes that can access the the treatment center besides Navajo? Any tribe, we're just like Indian Health Services. We treat anybody who's Native American. And um, if they wish to come out here, you know, we will treat them for whatever we can if we have the room for appointments. And, of course, our ER sees everybody for emergencies. Okay. Now, earlier you mentioned uh, the uranium mining that occurred in, in parts of the Navajo Nation and some other surrounding uh, Native American reservations in the Southwest. I know there was also some atomic bomb testing in that area. Can you talk more about those as risk factors for cancer among Native American people? So uh, you're probably aware that Navajo Nation has over 530 abandoned uranium mines that weren't closed. Um, and there's a few areas within our service unit <clears throat> that has areas like that that um, we are seeing patients come from. Um, and we've had patients say that many of their relatives have already died from cancer. Um, and we see that looking at these open uranium mines is a huge environmental risk factor for our, our, our populations. Um, and it's something that we, you know, keep trying to bring up. And, of course, um, President Nez is um, discussing things with the federal government, but um, we really feel that there should be more attention to it. But we're here 
to make sure that we can take care of our population if there's any issues with cancer. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned um, culturally grounded treatment for, for cancer and, and related illnesses. What goes into that, Lynette, in terms of your cultural approach to treating these diseases? Well, um, with our facility, we employ over 75% um, Native American. Um, and that's what's really great is because, you know, at our last community health assessment, we um, sent a survey and did our surveys with our population, and over 60% of our, our population still speak Navajo and understand Navajo. Um, and here at our facility, I believe we have over um, 50 or 60 medically in me medical, medical terminology um, trained Navajo interpreters. So they help with um, all the different things we have to say with medical terminology. But the thing with our cancer center is, you know, we'd have patients that would leave and, you know, they'd have staff that don't speak to them in Navajo. Um, and then they have to go other places that, you know, it's mm -hmm. really a problem for them to understand what is being told to them. Right, right. Well, folks, we are speaking with Lynette Bonner, and she is explaining to us more about the treatment center for cancer there in Tuba City, Arizona, located on the Navajo Reservation. And again, our topic for today's show is Native American treatment centers and different approaches to cancer treatment and prevention, as well as research. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. If you've got a question or a comment, please give us a holler. 1-800-996-2848. That is our number. Phone lines are open. We'll be back right after this short break. As the Academy Awards presentation approaches, it's time to look back at the movies from the past year that caught our eye. It's also a chance to review Native representation in popular media. We'll celebrate movies and critique what media got right and what they got wrong on the next Native America Calling. Support your healthcare team. Enroll in healthcare coverage today. Contact your local Indian healthcare provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about cancer treatment and the importance of having good Native-run cancer centers for diagnosis and treatment. For many people, it's a matter of life and death. What do you think? Has tribal cancer treatment made a difference in your life or the life of someone you love? Please call in 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Before we went to break, we were listening to Lynette Bonner, the CEO of the Tuba City Regional Healthcare Corporation, and she was talking about the importance of having native healthcare providers in these uh, the, tra the treatment facility there for cancer there in Tuba City. And Lynette, I wanted to ask you, are any of the oncologists and hematologists that you have on staff, are they Native American? Uh, no, they're not. One, they're one, one of them <clears throat> actually worked here as internal medicine 
for 10 years prior to his fellowship for hematology oncology. And uh, since he knew the native um, population and health, um, and his wife also did, she's a hematology hematologist oncologist, they decided to come back here because they knew they'd be really um, serving a community that does not have care. But they are not Native American. Oh, understood. Okay. Well, I know we're seeing increasing numbers of Native Americans and Alaska Natives choosing medicine as a career. Do you know, is oncology a popular specialty among Native physicians? I do not believe so. But one of our strategic initiatives is to um, connect with the educational programs in down in Phoenix and see if we could start establishing this partnership for residencies and fellows to come here for rural health or rural oncology services. And we hope to see some of our future um, physicians come into this role that are Native American. Okay. And Lena, you know, earlier you, you talked about the, this culturally grounded approach, having um, native language speakers, traditional healers and such. Are you seeing improved outcomes with these approaches with your cancer patients? Well, right now, uh, we started our clinic in June of 2019. So um, we've been going for a, a little while. Uh, the pandemic really slowed things down. Um, screening patients, and, and that's very, very unfortunate. Um, but right now, I believe that um, we're moving forward pretty well, uh, and uh, we hope to uh, continue to improve a lot of things that we're doing now. Well, Lynette, thank you for all this background. And again, good luck with um, this expansion of your treatment uh, research and, and, and services uh, with regard to cancer going forward. I'd like to bring Melissa Buffalo into our conversation now. Melissa, the American Indian Cancer Center, um, you folks aim to reduce cancer burdens on Native people by increasing screening and early detection rates. Uh, tell us more about it. Yeah, so we think about, you know, providing accurate information and, you know, really understanding those health disparities that are specific to every community, you know, whether it's regional or understanding, you know, each community is different and has barriers and strengths. And so being able to provide accurate information, you know, to understand where the community is at with their readiness and understanding, you know, whether, you know, we provide, um, you know, culturally tailored tools, resources, edu educational materials to the clinic, to the community, because they are the ones that live in the community. And, you know, they're the ones, you know, it's the providers working with the community. We want to be able to give them the tools, you know, because we are a small national nonprofit. So how do we work in partnership with these communities to really bring about change and, you know, increase the screening rates, increase the awareness so that, you know, our relatives across Indian country have the tools to make a decision, you know, on what screening is right for them and at what time. And Melissa, I've read that in the past there was this, um, this idea, and it was wrong, that Native Americans didn't face high rates of cancer when in fact they do. But, but why was there this uh, lack of understanding with regard to how serious cancer rates were among Native people? Um, I think that really looking at that contributing factor that, you know, American Indians face on a national level is that, you know, a health disparity is that lack of data and understanding tribal data sovereignty. So again, you know, understanding, you know, what is the available accurate, up-to-date data that is, you know, available to each community so that they can make decisions 
and that they can use that data to improve, you know, the health and wellness of their community. You know, and oftentimes American Indians are not included in, in you know, very important conversations, you know, addressing all health disparities. And so ensuring that if we can't be at the table, whether it's tribal leaders, you know, public health leaders, you know, community members, if we can't be at the table, like ensuring that somebody there is there to advocate for us, because oftentimes, you know, that balance of are we, you know, boots on the ground or are we at the table trying to make important decisions? Um, so again, I think just, you know, working really in partnership to be able to get data that's relevant, up to date and specific and that, you know, even um, misclassification of data and understanding what, you know, American Indian when people are checking the box or are they not checking the box when they're checking into the clinic? Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned data, and I'm, I'm curious, like, like, what are some of these challenges with regard to securing timely data on cancer rates among Native people? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you check into the clinic, are you, you know, possibly hesitant to even check American Indian because you might think you're the care you receive might be different, perceived different. So I think, you know, again, establishing trust and, you know, understanding large healthcare systems responsibility to build trust. And that even goes to, you know, what box are you checking American Indian um, is very important. And again, how can we help, you know, address that as the American Indian Cancer Foundation, as we're working, you know, with communities and partnership and, you know, even federal agencies, we have funding from CDC to increase, you know, the, the available data on a national scale with, you know, the work we do with the urban clinics through our funding. Melissa, earlier we heard Lynette talk about there in Tuba City how an overwhelming number of diagnoses are are made in the emergency room, which I find really shocking. Uh, In your work, do you see a lot of Native patients with curable cancers who, who die just because they can't get treatment in a timely fashion? Yeah, um, I think that could be answered in various ways. And also, um, good to see Lynette on this call as well as we have had some interactions with the Tuba City Clinic. Um, you know, I feel like sometimes a broken record when I say this, that, you know, oftentimes American Indians, you know, go to the ER for something because, you know, not necessarily having the options and the education and the awareness to know to be preventative in their health care. Again, what's that trust with the, the health care clinic or IHS? But you know, oftentimes they're going to the ER for something that isn't related to cancer, but it's diagnosed or it's found, right? And if it's at a later stage, oftentimes, you know, you're limited on your treatment options. You know, do you live in a rural community where treatment is away from your community? And, you know, what is your trust in the system to know that, you know, how much time is left to be able to get treatment? Um, You know, and again, being able to understand that cancer screenings do save lives and, you know, cancer screenings help, you know, us be preventative in our care. And so how do we provide education so that every individual, every one of our relatives can make a decision that, you know, this screening is right for me, you know, and, you know, how are our providers who oftentimes, you know, within IHS clinic, there's on average, I think about a 30% provider gap. And so again, probably even higher in some of our rural communities, you know, seeing patients, whether it's in the ER or in the clinic, like, you know, they're understaffed, overwhelmed. So again, trying to find innovative and creative ways to, you know, 
provide those educational options for our relatives to get screened, whether they're in the clinic for something else like diabetes or another, you know, healthcare issue. Melissa, I think one of the things that scares me, I find so frightening about cancer is it just seems to find people. And so often even people that appear to be relatively healthy, sometimes just, you know, they get a really bad, nasty form of cancer. And you mentioned timely screenings and other prevention, but, but what else as Native people do we need to be doing to, to protect ourselves from this horrible disease? Yeah, um, wonderful question. Again, we know, again, are there individual barriers to prevention and care? Or, you know, what are those community and system level barriers that we can understand? You know, our policy and prevention team does an amazing job of working in partnership with tribal leaderships, communities to create policy and change that, you know, promotes health and wellness to re-indigenize our ways of living in our community. You know, we look at, you know, the balance of commodity food and, you know, how much we love fry bread, but, you know, one is good, but, you know, being able to really advocate for healthier foods in our vending machines, you know, being aware of what those cancer risks are. And again, you know, that low awareness of cancer options, um, distrust of the medical system, research, you know, what is that fear? You know, you talked about it with the Navajo Nation, you know, that taboo of talking about it. So what's that fear of screening and the results? Um, and again, what are some of those health beliefs that may conflict with prevention practices? Um, some of those community and system level barriers, you know, can your clinic refer you out if you need a screening? Um, you know, she referred to that a little bit. There is some funding within IHS to, for preventative screening, but you know that Indian Health Service is there for primary care. Um, you know, we look at the poverty rates, the poor access to health care, um, availability of insurance, and just again, you know, what are those options for prevention programs within a clinic and cancer screenings and specialty care? Because oftentimes you have to go away from your community to receive care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so many risk factors at work there. It's really, really, really something to think about, overwhelming. But but again, great information here. We have a caller on the line, Melvin. He's listening on KZYK in Santee, Nebraska. Melvin, what's on your mind today? Well, this is a great show, informative. Uh, I agree with most of the stuff they're saying. You know, uh, uh, this last two and a half years, if I wasn't going to a COVID funeral, I was going to a cancer funeral, you know, and uh, what this virus did was make us look at our health, total health care system here. You know, what's happening? How many cancer cases are there? You know, but uh, what I'd like to have the Indian Health Service do is prioritize this whole cancer and make there be a, a uh, setup where they can screen there, right there at the clinic or the hospital, whatever they have, because this is getting out of control and we need to get it early, and that's the other problem. There's no prevention, and there needs to be more prevention out there for our communities to look for these signs that cancer's present. 
you know, we need to educate ourselves. And I hope that uh, the clinics and everybody can do more prevention. So, thank you. Well, Melvin, thank you. Uh, always on point, always good topics that you address. And um, Melissa, could you respond to that? Mel Melvin's concerned with just a more aggressive uh, approach to prevention and, and, and more possibilities or opportunities for people to get the screenings they need and other preventative uh, efforts. Um, are, are folks working more to make that happen going forward? Um, I think Melvin was, you know, right on point with understanding, you know, our communities and, you know, whether we were, you know, going to a funeral for COVID or cancer or not being able to go to that funeral. It's real and it's still very real in our communities. Right, right. Well, you know, um, President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden are, are really passionate about cancer research and treatment, and, and a lot of that has to do with the loss of their son, who died from brain cancer at the age of 46. And I think that's really promising, but I, I wonder about the long term going forward. Are, are you confident that we're going to continue to see this type of support, like what we're seeing now with the $8 million going to Navajo Nation? Do you think we're going to continue to see that kind of support coming out of Washington in, in the long term? Melissa? Nope. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I wasn't sure if that was for, for <laughs> I'm Lynette. sorry. I, nope. That's okay. I hope so. I mean, you know, American Indians were, you know, discussed in President Biden's, you know, speech and that, you know, reigniting of the cancer moonshot. So again, you know, folks on the call and, you know, the work that we do is there to hopefully make sure that does happen and hold agencies and individual and, you know, healthcare systems available to the healthcare for American Indians. Okay. Well, Lynette, I'd like to ask you also, you know, Melvin talked about the impact of COVID and the pandemic, and, and I know that the pandemic has exposed a lot of cracks in the healthcare system, both among Native people and non-Native people too. And I want to ask you, Lynette, is the lack of cancer treatment options for Native people, is that one of those disparities that has been um, exposed through through the pandemic? Uh, yeah, yes, I think it has, but I think um, that's happened for a lot of a lot of individuals everywhere because um, primary care, you know, a lot of the care was closed because of um, COVID. You know, not having patients in the office, as well as elective screenings such as colonoscopies and, and mammograms. Um, we were really trying to get the word out to our population to come in and get your mammogram. Um, we are helping our um, uh, community members by offering gas cards. Um, we were doing this before the gas price went up because a lot of times people would, you know, have a hard time getting in here um, to to, be, to have screening or to their appointments. So with our um, oncology program, we do um, give out gas cards as well with our mammogram um, screening. Anytime, as long as we have the funding, we'll give um, our our um, patients gas cards when they come in so they can get home. Um, and they're very happy and appreciative with that. I think that um, screening is something we do here. We have a well, we have over a thousand employees here. We have three satellites on the clinics, and there's a clinic on our site. We're a 73-bed hospital, but um, the screenings and the preventative 
are very important. And another thing that we do is um, about a third of our patients don't have running water. So if we have a patient who needs to have a colonoscopy, um, we get them a hotel room prior for the prep. Anybody that's had a colonoscopy knows you need a bathroom like right around the corner that you can go to. Um, so we try to be sensitive about our patients' needs. And I think the more that we do that with our um, population here in um, native areas, um, it's going to be good for them and show them that we aren't biased and build that trust so that they understand, you know, we just want to get them screened. If there's anything, like everybody has said, you want to find it in that first stage and just get it out of there and, and treat it so they have a, a good quality of life going forward. Absolutely. This is Native America Calling, and we would love to hear from you today. So please call in with your questions and comments. We're talking about Native approaches to the treatment and research of cancer diseases. Call in 1-800-996-2848. We will be back right after this short break. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, StrongHeart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by StrongHeart's Native Helpline. To Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A cancer diagnosis can be life changing, but Native run cancer treatment can make a big difference in the outcome. Tell us what you think about specialized Native treatment centers for cancer and other life threatening diseases. Still time to share your thoughts? Call us. Phone lines are open 1 800 996 2848. Let's bring our third guest into our conversation, Dr. Myra Parker. Myra, um, Tell us more about Seven Direction Center for Indigenous Public Health and efforts to combat cancer in Native America. Sure. Yeah. So um, as part of my role in Seven Directions at the University of Washington, I am also a, a partner with the Fred Hutchinson University of Washington Cancer Consortium. And this is a research collaboration that includes the Fred Hutch. Um, and the University of Washington, as well as Seattle Children's Hospital and the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Um, and uh, part of this uh, effort is uh, based at the Office of Community Outreach and Engagement. And what we do there is uh, work with tribes and urban Indian communities here in Washington State uh, to look at, you know, what are some of those ways, like we were just talking about earlier in the show, to help support uh, cancer screening among indigenous people and how to um, identify some treatment paths that will work for them. Um, and I think, you know, as everyone has been mentioning earlier, uh, it's such a critical issue to just go in and get screened. And it can be scary and it can be, you know, challenging to even get there, get through the door sometimes. You know, Melissa, I think, mentioned transportation and you know, just knowing that there is a screening um, available for certain types of cancer, um, all of those things can be barriers. And I think, you know, hopefully what we can try to do is kind of flip the script a little bit and, um, you know, really help to make those connections, those strong community connections so that uh, the folks who are, you know, at risk for uh, cancer can understand, you know, what their options are 
Um, and just like a quick anecdote about that, um, a relative of mine was diagnosed with prostate cancer a few years ago, and um, he, you know, was considering getting cancer care um, at a hospital locally. And I put him in touch with um, the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, and um, because he had diabetes, uh, it seemed like maybe there were some other treatment options that could be uh, good uh, because of the different types of risks associated with diabetes and kind of healing from um, cancer treatment. And so he was able to access um, the treatment called proton therapy, which is a little bit less invasive. Um, and he actually had a friend who um, did go to the local hospital and they decided to operate. And he um, uh, had some really significant health issues as a result. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to compare like apples to apples for sure. Um, you know, maybe there were other things going on with that, that person. Um, but I think it kind of underscores the point that if folks don't know that there's even an option, it's easy to kind of just, you know, follow exactly what their primary care physician is recommending and, and they may not understand that there are opportunities to um, find a, a treatment plan that's right for them. And so that's, you know, part of our effort at the Office of Community Outreach and Engagement is just trying to get the word out and trying to get people connected to folks who can walk them through different options and try to understand what will work for them and, and their treatment course. Myra, you mentioned screening as well, and, and we've talked about this already on the show, how in some communities it's just it's a matter of geography and just folks having to drive long distances for these appointments and whatnot. So I'm curious with the rise of telehealth, especially during the pandemic is, is that a promising solution for some of our native communities to get those timely screenings for cancers that they need using telehealth appointments? Well, I think telehealth is one tool that, you know, we can all access um, and use as a way to help promote screening it's a really great way to provide education. And like Melissa was talking about earlier, you know, sometimes it's, it's just helpful to walk folks through, like, what does this actually entail? You know, it can be intimidating. It can be kind of, um, you know, frightening based on, you know, what your previous experiences might have been, you know, with a doctor and doctor's offices. Um, and, you know, I think we just have to kind of acknowledge that in the past, sometimes the quality of care has been an issue for American Indian Alaska Native folks uh, because of maybe discrimination, because of maybe just lack of understanding of cultural issues and needs, um, and for a host, host of other reasons, I'm sure. Uh, and so, you know, it can be, you know, challenging for Native folks to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, go through this again and, and try to get screened. And I think that's where the telehealth piece really can come in, where people can kind of you know, have the conversation first so they're not, you know, going in blind and, and not knowing, you know, what exactly to expect. Um, and there's also some types of, of screeners that are available, um, you know, by mail too. So like, for example, uh, some of the research that's coming out, there's um, some self-administered pap uh, smears that are possibly available um, after they are tested and, and kind of verify that it, it works effectively. So that might be, you know, on the horizon coming down the road. Uh, there's also FIT uh, screening, screeners, which is for um, uh, colon cancer. And so that's something that can be done in the home. And I know like here in the Seattle area, there's a lot of um, health educators who are able to schedule those telehealth visits and walk patients through like, what are the steps 
for this fit kit? What what do you need to do, and what do you need to um, provide to the, your healthcare provider uh, in order to get the screening completed? And um, you know, I've actually tried one of those, um, and it's it's not you know my number one thing that I want to do, but it also I think after I got my results back, um, made me feel a little bit better, you know, just about kind of um, taking care of my health and also kind of uh, encouraging, you know, to know that that it, the screening was negative and um, and so I would encourage folks to kind of ask, you know, folks at their healthcare center or, you know, other people who are um, providers in their community to help connect them with some of these opportunities to find out more how they can support their health. Well, Myra, this all sounds really promising. Thank you. We have another caller on the phone, Clifton. He is listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Clifton, you're on Native America Calling. Hey, thank you. I've had uh, cancer in the family, and and, uh, some of the family members have uh, taken sort of, uh, you know, you might say somewhat extreme measures uh, to eliminate lots of things from their lives that they feel are cancer uh, producing, you know, eliminating plastic, you know, PDA, PFAS, things like that. I wonder if that, uh, you know, comes up in this conversation, uh, how how, uh, things in our environment are increasingly uh, carcinogenic. Thank you. Thank you for that call. Clifton. And yeah, we hear so much about carcinogens in our environment. You mentioned plastic. I know wood burning and coal burning um, energy sources and things like that. Uh, Myra, any thoughts on that in terms of just the increasing number of carcinogens in our environment and specifically in in some of our native communities? I mean, earlier we talked about uranium and um, other radioactive materials that um, exist in some of our communities. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, I think um, uh, it's really good to, I think, just kind of take a look at your home, take a look at, you know, your office space, take a look at, you know, where you work, if you're outside or wherever, and kind of, you know, try to try to understand, you know, what is the risk, the relative risk um, for different types of exposures. Um, And, you know, that can be, you know, higher or lower depending on, you know, a lot of different things. And um, I think, you know, there's certainly been research studies that have demonstrated that certain types of plastic have um, different types of chemicals that are em- emitted um, that might potentially heighten the risk for cancer. Um, I know that um, you know a lot of these studies are with animals, and so uh, you know they're exposing animals to really high levels of some of these chemicals, and and at that high level um, they do develop cancer. So it's a little hard to tell, you know, exactly that doesn't necessarily translate, you know, directly to kind of the cancer risk among humans. But, you know, with that aside, I think there's a lot of behavioral pieces that we can kind of put into place so that we can reduce our overall risk for a lot of different cancers. So um, I think Melissa kind of touched on this earlier, but, you know, maintaining a healthy weight, um, exercising regularly. So like 30 minutes or so of um, brisk walking a day is a really good way to you know, get that exercise in, um, eating healthily. So, you know, choosing a lot of um, fresh fruits and vegetables if possible and lean meats um, and limiting carbohydrates and processed foods. All of those things are going to reduce our risk for cancer as well. And then, you know, making sure that we're getting those regular screenings. So 
um, you know, when you go into the doctor's office, um, if you can have them walk you through, like, what's what's coming up, you know, down the road, um, what should I be aware of, you know, have I gotten, you know, my pap test, do I need to get, you know, my colonoscopy in the next couple of years, you know, when does that start to be an issue, um, I think all of those things together can really help at the individual level to make sure that we get those things diagnosed really early on. Um, because, you know, obviously you don't want to be in the ER getting a cancer diagnosis. Hopefully it's earlier, you know, before um, it's too far down the road uh, because the treatment is a lot easier. You know, if we're able to get diagnosed early on in, in the cancer stages, then uh, we can make sure that um, those treatments are, are even more effective. Um, and a lot of times, you know, what we're seeing nowadays is actually um, if we're able to get that treatment early on, it's kind of a case of sort of living with that cancer diagnosis and sort of figuring out like, okay, you know, I've, I've received, um, you know, my treatment and um, it doesn't look like there's any more cancer and now I need to just kind of annually go in for certain screenings to make sure that the cancer doesn't come back. And so, you know, that's a world of difference from when I was, you know, a teenager and, and you know, we had like four individuals in our family who were diagnosed and it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of hope. There wasn't, you know, living with cancer. It was, it was kind of inevitable um, in terms of the progression. And that's what we, I think, want to get away from and make sure that folks have a, a better outlook and more opportunity, you know, to do something about, you know, those screening results and, and, um, be there, you know, for our friends and family uh, for the years and ahead of us. Okay, so eating healthy, regular screenings, a proactive approach. We have another caller, Norman. He's listening in Bethel, Alaska, on KYUK. Norman, you're on Native America Calling. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate this uh, this opportunity for me to speak. I do agree with all of the statements that you had made, but one of the things that oh, I'll be 30 seconds, by the way. Um, one of the things that I had noticed among Native healthcare organizations is e even when you're Native and you have health insurance, it makes the world a big difference to access all of the services that are offered within a healthcare organization. I have an example. Um, one of my one of my close relatives uh, who had just retired um, had health insurance and just got diagnosed with the uh, with the uh, um, cancer. I don't remember what it was, but uh, as his uh, as his days were winding down, he was receiving all sorts of different services from the healthcare organization, and also received a, a palliative care. I think palliative care is basically a, the quote unquote end of stages of life, so that the individual is going to. Um, pass away peacefully versus one of my other aunties who got diagnosed at the emergency room because she had no health insurance and, and was basically told, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. Um, here's what we're going to do as a health care provider. Um, here's what we can only do. And they only gave him like six months. No palliative care was provided. No other services were offered to my poor auntie who had health insurance which is very, very sad because Native organizations and Native communities um, have contracted health care with the federal government and they should provide all different types of services regardless of the ability to pay. Um, I just get, I just, I just want to throw that out that there's still an ongoing disparity of people who have no health insurance versus people who have health insurance. I appreciate the okay. opportunity. Thank you. 
You bet, Norman. And Lynette, I'm going to give you uh, some time to respond to this. We are going to have to close this show out here in just a couple of minutes, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the last word, Lynette. And and could you answer Norman's question with regard to health insurance disparities? Do you you folks have to deal with that there in Tuba City um, with your range of patients uh, with regard to health insurance? Uh, Maybe some folks maybe might not have it. Do you deal with that there in Tuba City? Uh, Yes, we do, um, but that's another good thing about our program here. Um, our oncologists now know, you know, all of the specialists down south in Flagstaff and Phoenix, which is, in, you know, a lot further than um, Flagstaff. And sometimes we have to send our patients to Phoenix, and that's a lot further because we don't treat uh, leukemias. You know, they might have a transplant done or something like that. But as far as health insurance, um, that's unfortunate that that happened to his auntie, and I feel really bad for something like that to occur. But that's why we don't want our community to get diagnosed in an ER. ER, you know, their emergency room, they don't um, probably follow up very well in some places. And if we could hook them up to a case manager, that person should help them find uh, the next steps. And um, having our program here, that's really decreased a lot of those stories um, that are just really bad for our family members. Um, And I think that the uh, team that we have here knows everybody that treats whatever type of cancer in Arizona now. And so we can get people right in like that day or the next day to see other specialists if the hematology and oncologists um, need other information for diagnosing or treating to help them. And they can come back here locally into the city to get their um, chemotherapy and have um, monitoring. So it's really sad to hear that, but I think that um, this is where we need to continue to get our voices out there with screening and prevention, but also um, make sure that we have good care coordination and follow-up. And if palliative care is part of our treatment plan, we need to make sure that occurs. Um, One of the things we also do here is we can look at individuals that do not have any health insurance um, and see if we can assist them by helping with their premiums with the marketplace. Um, Plus, we do have good benefits coordinators. So thank you. Thank you for that. um, Folks, that's all the time we have for our show today. And I hope you enjoyed our humanizing discussion on the impacts of cancer on Native populations and innovative approaches to treating the disease by Native-run cancer centers. Much appreciation to our guests, Dr. Myra Parker, Melissa Buffalo, and Lynette Bonner for sharing their knowledge and understanding. Join us tomorrow for another thought-provoking live discussion. Until then, the show continues online and on social media where you can drop us a line on Facebook or at comments at NativeAmericaCalling.com. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. 
Program support from AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps members who serve in VISTA make a difference in the fight against poverty while earning money for college and gaining valuable skills. Rewarding service opportunities are available across America, focusing on economic opportunity, healthy futures, education, and more. It will change your life and the lives of others. Information at A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.